נצליח, שיעור תורה, great to be here in Aventura again, our weekly shiur, ברוך השם. Continuing our Musar series, I believe today is number 37. So, ברוך השם, if you could actually make the camera closer, say, um, it's too far. I reset it and it's a... Uh, Many people that I know that uh, I've always been interested in the mystical part of Judaism, where they like to learn Zohar, they like to learn uh, Kabbalah, all these different things, have found this series very, very interesting. Even though we don't really talk about that much mystical stuff, we talk about a lot of things that are pertaining to your day-to-day life. I mean, in, uh, in the business world, they call this ethics or character development or uh, self-help. But, you know, once in a while you throw a story about something mystical. So today's shiur actually has a Mishnah that is very, very mystical, coming from one of the people that was the foundation of all the mystical knowledge we have today. Rabbi Nechunya ben Akana. Now, if you ask people today, what's Torah? Most people tell you, oh, it's the Zohar, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, Kabbalah. We tell them, okay, what about the Gemara? What about Shuchana? Oh, like, nah, that's, that's for the Orthodox people. That's for the religious people. The real Torah is the mystical part. Shtuyot, by the way. It's complete nonsense. It shows how little we actually know what Torah is and what's not. Now, of course, the mystical part of the Torah is the Torah. But you won't only find the mystical part of the Torah in the Zohar. As a matter of fact, you'll find a lot more mystical things in the Gemara than you will anywhere else. You just have to go through the whole thing. But today, most people, you see them, they do tshuva a year, year and a half, two years, all of a sudden they start wearing white clothes on Shabbat, their beard gets longer and longer because it's free. On Rosh Hashanah, they're wearing all white you tell me, oh, so you, which, which part of the uh, Shas are you on? No, no, no. I don't focus on that. Oh, what are you, what are you learning? No, I'm doing something else. Well, what are you doing? I'm learning Zohar. Zohar. Wow. Learning Zohar. Big level. Do you know how to eat, uh, what are those fistukim? How do you say fistukim? Pistachios. you know how to eat pistachios on Shabbat? I'm serious. Do you know how to eat pistachios on Shabbat? They ask you, what do you mean? I eat pistachios. You open them, you eat them. Oh, so I'm going Shabbat then. What do you mean? How am I going to Shabbat if I eat pistachios that way? So, ah, there's something called borel. Alachot borel of Shabbat. It's good to know, by the way. You can't separate the good from the bad. So if you're going to eat pistachios, you're going to have two piles. You're going to have the pile of the pistachios that you haven't peeled yet. You haven't broken the shell yet. And you have a pile of, of the peel. You're not eating the peel. Unless you're a monkey. Oh, Hashem, we're not monkeys here. No monkey showed up today. We haven't gone to that market yet. So, 
if you're only breaking the peel and you're putting the peel on one side, you're violating Shabbat. You're mechalel Shabbat. You're violating the laws of Borel. You're separating the good from the bad. So what do you have to do? You have to put a few good pistachios inside the pile of the junk. So how are you learning? How are you learning Zohar? You don't even know how to keep Shabbat properly. You're learning Zohar. Everybody wants to skip. They want to skip 20 years. They want to skip all the halachot. They want to skip all the mitzvot. They want to skip all the gemarot. They want to skip everything. They want to go straight to the mystical stuff. Why? It sounds fancier. It sounds more mekubal. sounds like, shh, I'm worried about my klipah, they tell me. You know, the klipah, 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 what klipah? What do you know about klipah? You're mechalet Shabbat. You don't even know how to eat on Shabbat. You don't know how to eat. Eat, you don't know. I'm not telling you, you don't know how to pray. I'm not telling you, you don't know how to study. You don't know how to eat. Eat on Shabbat, you don't even know. What klipah are you worrying about? Klipah. Shtuyot. Nonsense. People have to understand that the basics are so far ahead of us that just to get a good footing on the basics, minimum 20 years. To get a good footing. To get understanding. To be comfortable in, in your own skin with the basics of Judaism requires a minimum 20 years of studying Torah. Not 20 years of just keeping Shabbat like a robot. We have a lot of uh, robots that keep Shabbat in the world. You know, they just don't turn on the phone, they don't turn on the TV, they don't drive, they sleep most of the day, they eat shulet like uh, they've never eaten before in their life, they go to shul. That's a robot that keeps Shabbat. There's many of them. They're trying to be a little bit better. Oh, Hashem, we know it's the end of days. We know that Hashem is very, very serious about every single detail. We don't really have much time to joke around. So we have to understand that we can't be robots of Keep Shabbat. Let's do a little more. So when someone says, listen, I'm going to skip all this, I'm going to go to the mystical stuff. It's a very big mistake. It's a very big mistake. You're not allowed to touch the Zohar, the Kabbalah, all the mystical stuff until you have an amazing footing, an amazing foundation in the Torah. And unfortunately, many people that are Baalei Tshuva are really, really attracted to the mystical stuff, mainly because they're being misled. There's many babot in the world, many people that pretend to be, you know, righteous people, and they come to a shul from far away and say, oh, listen, guys, I heard this in my own, my own ears, I heard this. Guy comes to the community from Israel. Guys, we're going to go learn. 45 minutes, only Zohar. Half the guys are Mechalel Shabbat. What are you teaching them Zohar? What Zohar are you teaching them? They don't even know how to spell Zohar. What Zohar? What are you teaching them? But that's the thing. People are being sold a bag of goods. But when they go home, which is in Shemaim, they're going to tell them, oh, what do you have in that bag, sir? You brought it here all the way from the world. What do you have in the bag, sir? Oh, no, no, I have something good. What, what do you have? He's going to open the bag. Bob kiss, nothing. There's nothing in the bag. What is he got? He's got a couple of good stories. Stories don't get anybody to get ended. But I'm going to tell you a story anyway. So one time, there was a guy that was very, very scared of batikvarot, of uh, cemeteries. Scared, scared. And in the old days, before cars, before planes and all of that stuff, you had to walk everywhere on a horse, on a uh, camel, on a donkey. But usually they would have the cemeteries at the end of the town. 
So most people that would come into town, they would have to pass by the cemetery. So this guy had to travel into this new town, and he had to go past the cemetery. He was scared to death. Pass by the cemetery, it's at night. Oof. What are they going to do? I mean, dead people don't really harm anybody. They're dead. But he scared me, skin. What am I going to do? He's sitting there shaking, shaking. He doesn't know what to do. All of a sudden, he sees on the other side of the fence, where the cemetery side is, a guy shows, hey, how are you? Where are you going? Oh, I'm going that way. He goes, come, come, come with you. So they're walking together. The guy's on the other side of the fence. He's over here. And he's like, oh, Baruch Hashem, somebody next to me. And they start talking, where are you from? Oh, I came from this place. Oh, wow, your family, you have this. Start talking, ta da 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 to get to the end of the cemetery. He's like, oh, you're not leaving the cemetery? He goes, no, no, I'm here, I'm here. He goes, oh, okay. He goes, well, where are you going? I'm going over there. All right, so I'll see you around. He goes, just out of curiosity, why are you so scared of cemeteries? He goes, oh, scared of them. Scared of, you know, with the dead people and everything. He goes, ah, you know what? I agree with you. When I used to be alive, I was also scared. (laughs) Get that, Sonny? That was supposed to be a joke. I don't have many jokes, Sonny. I don't have that many jokes, Sonny. You got to laugh at my jokes. You got to support me for my jokes, Sonny. I got one joke every six Yorim. I'm low on material. So that's the story you got for today. So, so, Abina Chunya Ben Akana, Omer, Kol Amekabel Alav Ol Torah. Oh no, I'm sorry. This one is a no. Rabbi Chanina Ben Chachinai. Omer, Aneor Balayla, VeAmealech Bederek Yechidi. So Rabbi Hanina ben Chachinai says the following One who stays awake at night or who travels alone on the road but turns his heart to idleness indeed he bears guilt for his soul Okay So now, Rabbi Chanina ben Chachinai is telling you something a little strange. So listen, if you stay up at night, which I think everybody stays up at night these days, I don't think anybody does, you know, goes to sleep at 8 o'clock like the old generation. Stay up at night, 11, 12, 1, 2, 3, usually I get most of my emails at 3 o'clock in the morning. You stay up at night, or you travel alone on the road at night. Or you turn your heart to idleness, meaning you start doing nothing. Waste your time. He's saying, that, my friend, is putting your life at risk. Now, the last time I checked, this generation doesn't go to sleep during night. They go to sleep during the day. They go to sleep during the day, awake at night. Everyone's alive and well. So what is this Tana Kadosh, this holy Tana, Rabbi Chanina ben Chachinai, saying it, he's saying, if you stay up at night, you walk around at night by yourself, and you turn your heart to nothing, you waste your time, your life's at risk. So first and foremost, we have to meet 
רבי חנינא בן חכימאי. הוא הזיק. So the uh, Midrash, and also in Vayikar uh, Rabba, and also in Gemara Masech Ketubot, talks about a uh, story about Rabbi Chalakinai. It says that he went away to study for many years, 12 years. But not like today he study. You go to study two hours, you come home, You got 22 hours to do whatever you want. He went to study for 12 years. Not seeing family, no kids, no wife, no nothing. And who sent him? His wife. One day after 12 years, he decided to come home. Studied Baruch Hashem. What did he study? He studied all of the mystical parts of the Torah. Ghosts, demons, what happens... In Shamayim, what happens before this world, what's going to happen after, things that are beyond our understanding. Is that what Zohar is? Zohar talks about different parts. Talks about things that are not necessarily just that. There's many other parts of the Zohar. Some parts of the Zohar are like a midrash, on a uh, commentary on the, uh, on the five books of Moses or the Tanakh. Some parts are going to tell you different uh, mystical details, like the background story or significance of certain mitzvot. And some of them are going to talk to you about things that are happening in Shemaim, like, for example, uh, details of angels, the angels' names, and things like that. It's different parts of the Zohar. But he was studying the highest level of mysticism, which is they call Maaseh Merkava or Maaseh Bereshit. These are two things that the Gemara, Masechet Chagah, says you're not allowed to teach people. not allowed to teach people what happens in Shemayim. And you're not allowed to teach them how the world really came to be. Yeah. They say that it's so high that for the most part, most people are so far away from understanding it that it's only going to confuse them and lead them away from the direction they're supposed to go. But the question is, Gemara asks, How is it that these sages learned it? And not only that, the same Gemara, Masechet Chagigah, says that some of these sages actually taught it to people. Didn't you just say you're not allowed to teach it? So how are they teaching it? Not only that, how did Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai allow himself to write the Zohar, which is not necessarily Masechet Merkava, Masechet Bereshit, but it's definitely certain parts that are very, very mystical, or even different parts of the Gemara talk about things that are beyond this world, beyond the... Listen, you should uh, not uh, not be angry. You know, there's things that are very mystical. How did you teach those things? Answer the Gemara is, you're allowed to teach it to today, now, because most people don't even understand what you're talking about. So there's no danger. The generation is so far, they're not going to say what you're talking about anyway. It's like talking to a wall. They're going to understand once in a while, they're going to understand a word. But in reality, today, if you're going to learn, let's say, 10, 12, 13 hours a day, you want to spend an hour a day learning Zohar, you want to spend an hour a day learning, oh, fine, your rabbi says it's okay, it's okay if you're at that level, you're at that level. But if you're going to be one of those people where you have only one, one hour a day to study, and you're going to spend it on Zohar, you're going to spend it on Kabbalah, you're going to spend it on mystical stuff, you might find out a serious problem.
Why? Because you're going to forget the purpose of why you're studying it, Bechlav. You have to learn Halakha, you have to learn Gemara, you have to learn five books of Moses, you have to learn the basics. You can't just go straight to the top. But Rabbi Chachinai, Rabbi Chachinai ben Chachinai, went and spent a lot of time learning the mystical parts of the Torah to such an extent that he had many, many secrets. And the Gemara says that when he came home to see his wife after 12 years, his wife was so surprised, she got a heart attack and died. He saw his wife that's been waiting for him for 12 years, that sent him. She's the one that sent him for 12 years to study. Couldn't accept it. He started praying to Hashem. To Hashem, she's the one that sent me. And he revived the dead. He brought her back to life. So when they say that anybody that's mentioned in the Gemara by name, anytime you have a Gemara, and they actually see a name of a sage, Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, Rabbi Chachinai, Chia, Huna, all of these giants, why they're named by name? And sometimes you see someone said, who's someone? Well, you don't have a name. Of course we have a name. But we're not going to mention his name in the Gemara. Why we're not going to mention his name in the Gemara? Because he's not at a level to be mentioned in the Gemara. Because to be mentioned in the Gemara by name, you have to be at a level where you were able to revive the dead. And this is one of the many, many stories you see in the Gemara where one of the sages actually revived the dead. So you had a question. Um, why did she have a She was so surprised that he was home, yet she hadn't seen him in 12 years. She was so surprised that dear husband was uh, was back home and surprised. No phones back then. She didn't text her before. Uh, hey, listen, honey, I'm on the way home. Just surprise, surprise. This tzaddik comes back home. She's surprised. So now, why do I tell you this background story of him? Because if he's at a level of being able to revive the dead after learning all the different mystical parts of the Torah, then uh, he knows a little bit. He knows a little bit about these things. So when he's telling you that someone that stays awake at night and travels alone at night and just wastes his time, is putting his life at risk, there has to be more meaning than just a simple few words. Maskim? Yeah. He agrees. Baruch Hashem. So Rabbi Hanina ben Chachinai was trying to educate us about demons. He was trying to educate us about the outcome of each and every single one of our actions. One of the things that we have a hard time understanding is that every action has a reaction. Everything that you do, there's a cause and there's an effect. When someone does something in this world, it doesn't matter whether it's a big mitzvah, small mitzvah, big sin, small sin, there has to be an impact in the real world. Has to be. Before any war begins in the world, first it begins in Shemaim. Because each nation, according to Chazal, has their own angel. That Hashem has this angel supervise. He gives him the Shefa, all of the goodness, all of the decrees, all the good, the bad, everything. He gives him the Shefa to deliver it to the nation. 
So someone that's a heretic would immediately ask, wait a minute, what? So this God needs help. What kind of God is this? No, Hashem does not need help. So why does he use these angels? Why does, for example, the angel of Egypt, which is called Mitzrayim in Hebrew, the name of that angel is Mitzrayim. Just like the name of the country is Mitzrayim, so is the angel's name Mitzrayim. So why does Hashem need Mitzrayim? He doesn't need them. But the way of a king is to have servants. You're never going to see a king cleaning his own toilet. You're never going to see a king cooking for himself. The way of a king is to have servants. Called the Homer, the king of kings. He's going to have servants. So now he gives these angels the shefa that he gives to the world. But now, before any war begins here, officially, the angels immediately start fighting up there. Egypt starts fighting Syria. Syria starts fighting Iraq. Iraq starts fighting so on. Eventually, that's the shefa that comes down to this world. All of a sudden, the Syrian guy doesn't like the Iraqi guy. They were best friends for 25 years. All of a sudden, he wants to stab him. What happened? You guys were best friends. You're just playing soccer. You're kid. Yeah, yeah, but he looked at me funny. What do you mean looked at you funny? You know him for 25 years. Yeah, I don't like him anymore. All of a sudden, he doesn't like him. Why? Start already over there. But how did it start? Why did they start fighting up there? Because they got the outcome of our actions here. The outcome of our actions generate a certain energy, if you will, that goes up there. They get that energy, they react off of that energy, that reaction causes an effect over here. So it's a circle. The same goes with every time we make a sin. Many people, unfortunately, especially in the uh, in America, have gotten used to driving on Shabbat, even to Bet Knesset, to such an extent that they don't think there's anything wrong with it. Not that, I'm not talking about people that are driving and they don't even go to Shpiknesset, that they reform or something and they give bar mitzvahs to dogs, or they're conservative and the rabbi is gay. I'm not talking about those people. Or the renewal where the uh, they have, uh, you know, they're uh, contemplating whether they have goyim start becoming members of the keilah. I'm not talking about those people. I'm talking about Orthodox Jews. They call themselves Orthodox. Unfortunately, this parts of Orthodox. There's, you know real orthodox that people actually keep me throat and there's like some people just call themselves orthodox because they like to call orthodox sounds cool sounds serious yeah but you drive on Shabbat orthodox but you eat chazir orthodox you eat chalav and basar orthodox though yeah but you don't keep any mitzvot whatsoever and you're a thief on top of it and you're a really bad guy orthodox how are you orthodox I come and I pray Yom Kivu what for an hour and a half yeah no but I also pray in the morning a few hours Orthodox, Shtiot, nonsense. But unfortunately, we're very, very far away from the destination we're supposed to be. But it's gotten to a point that people are at such a level that's so far away from the truth that you see people, and I saw this with my own eyes. I wouldn't say this if I didn't see this with my own eyes because I wouldn't believe the story, honestly. I saw people come to Shul, drive to Shul. They're coming out of the Shul. I was walking around with my family. They're coming out of the shul. I guess they finished tefillah. They're coming out of the shul. They walk to the parking lot. Now, they're wearing a black keeper. They're not, you know, listen, when you see a guy 
walking around with, you know, one of those quarter keepers. You know, the keeper is slightly bigger or smaller than a quarter, and it's colorful. It's like, I don't know, rainbow colored or something. You think, okay, the guy's the first time he wore a keeper. Or he just got it from some bar mitzvah or something. He's trying to get in. You can't judge that guy. He's scared. He doesn't know anything. Like, we didn't know. No judgment. See a guy wearing a black keeper, automatically, you think, this guy's serious. This guy's, he's already in the game. Does tefillin, he does this. This guy's, it's good. He's going to be part of the third that saved this other ship. You see him walking around with his family, with a little girl, straight to the car, with the talit, with everything going in the car, driving away. Mamash, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe my eyes. Because based on the exterior, this guy's been religious his whole life. His whole life. Based on actions, his skin, the guy has no share of the world to come. If he doesn't do tshuva, not him or his family have a share of the world to come. Do you understand the significance of this? Do you understand that when he turns the car, just turns the car, we're not talking about driving for 25 minutes, just turns it on, there's 6,000 atomic bombs going off in his personal olamaba. So when he shows up over there, with his talit bag and the black keeper, looking religious, it's like, oh, sir, how are you? Good, good, good. Baruch Hashem, okay, great. Here's your Lamba. What do you mean? It's destruction. What do you think? Every time you turn the car on Shabbat, nothing happened? Because you didn't see it. Because you didn't hear it. Something happened. Hashem said, don't light fire. You turn on the car, you lit 6,000 fires. You press the gas, another 6,000 fires. You drove for 25 minutes, it's another half a million fires. Each one of those fires is the equivalent of an atomic bomb. Not a fire like a little fire, like a little bonfire. A little personal fire to burn your chametz. We're talking about an atomic bomb, Hiroshima and Nagasaki, with tiny atomic bombs next to the ones we have today. That's what we're talking about. So, because we don't see it, we don't think it's happening. But it's happening. So, this is one of the most important things that a person needs to understand. Everything has an outcome. Everything. As soon as a person starts understanding there's an outcome, there's a consequence for his actions, his life changes. But as soon as he thinks that nothing happens, I can turn on the car on Shabbat, I can turn on the TV. If I don't see anything happen, Hashem doesn't punish me, I'm fine. There's 500 other cars in the parking lot. Why don't you tell them something? What do you want from me? My friend, you're responsible for you. He's responsible for him. He's responsible for him. And all of you are responsible for each other. And the serious problem is that you sweet and important people are actually the ones that are affecting Shemaim the guy that's learning it's doing mitzvot he's learning to all day he's helping us keep the balance but every time you turn on the car my friend you're not doing us any good so when Hashem is angry, he's not angry because of the guy that's learning Torah. Because that's what he said in Torah. Listen, you who learn Torah, you're a tzaddik. 
You keep me trot, you're amazing. You work on your midot, psh, superhero. Drive on Shabbat, mot yumat, v'nichreta nefesh me'amea, and all these horrible, horrible things. So you, my friend, are driving on Shabbat, you're messing up my life. When my nation has people dying every other day from terrorists, wars, all this stuff. What do you think it's happening because of the guy that's learning Torah? No, it's not happening because of him. It's not happening because of him. I know no one likes to hear this. No, but I have a friend. He's a really nice guy. Oh, my dad. He's a really wonderful person. He just drives on Shabbat once in a while. I understand everybody has it. Everybody has somebody in the family that's a wonderful, wonderful person. It's a Mechal Shabbat. I understand. But this is why we're here. We have to affect ourselves, work on ourselves, strengthen ourselves, get to a point of happy. Not get to a point of being all darshanim, being speakers. Get to a point of happy. Get to a point where I can see you're happy doing what Hashem wants. And if I can see you're happy, then He can see you're happy. If He can see you're happy, He's going to do what you're doing. So ask, what's your secret? You don't have to be a speaker. To help people do tshuva, he's going to be happy. But I'm not talking about the fake happy, the guys that are break dancing in the middle of the street, saying they're happy, taking ecstasy pills. That's not happy. Talk about happy like you're happy with real life. You have no money in the bank, you're happy. You got bill collectors, you're happy. You got married, you're happy. Everything you're happy. Why? Because you know Hashem is running the world. As soon as you understand that Hashem is running the world. There's no reason for you not to be happy. Of course, there's things that will stress you out, will test you, will annoy you. Different things, there's ups, there's downs. But ultimately, the closer you are to Hashem Barach, the easier it is to be happy. And it actually becomes almost impossible to be unhappy. Go ahead. Yeah. Anxiety. Hmm? Anxiety. Anxiety is as a result of lack of emunah. Meaning, when someone feels like he is responsible for a certain outcome, He's responsible to make money. He's responsible to find the zivuk. He's responsible for all these different things that are happening in his life. Then, of course, he's going to be anxious. The reason why is because his neshama, his neshama inside knows the truth. His neshama says, by the way, you think you're going to make money? You're not going to make any money. You think you're going to find a zivuk? You can't find it. You can't find yourself in the bathroom. You think you're going to do anything in life? You can't do anything. It's only Hashem. So your neshama is telling you, you fool. Stop thinking you're going to do anything. Look up. Ask Abba. He's the only one that can do anything. So as long as your neshama and your body are in disagreement, you're going to be anxious. One guy is saying, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. The other guy said, you don't know what you're talking about. You can't do anything. What, you think you make money? Who gives you the money? No, no, I, I made I, I worked in the stock market. I bought this. I bought Who gave you the brain? Yeah, no, but it was my brain. But who made the brain work? Then the shaman knows the secret. Because my friend, you don't know what you're talking about. You think you can do anything? That's why you're anxious. You're anxious because there's a disagreement. There's a disagreement. And you don't want to admit it. You want to convince yourself that it's you. That it's you doing it. As long as you think it's you, you have a problem. You have a serious, serious problem. So back to our Mishnah, Rabbi Hanina ben Chachinai is telling us that 
if we understand that every single one of our actions leads to an outcome, leads to a reaction, leads to something, everything changes. Everything changes. Because then we understand that there's eyes and ears, eyes that are watching, ears that are hearing, and Hashem is writing everything in a book. And now He's telling you, in the, in the Torah, it says foundation of the Torah is to learn the Torah. Meaning, most important part is to learn what it says in the Torah. To such an extent that even a person that's an hour before his death, he knows he's going to die in an hour. He knows. But he still is able to study, he has to study Torah. Has to study Torah. Everyone is obligated to study Torah. So if instead of using that time, to study Torah. You're just hanging out at night. Doing nothing. Watching YouTube videos of, uh, I don't know, ducks crossing the street. Watching YouTube videos of a lion chasing a uh, uh, one of these uh, zebras. You want to see the National Geographic's channel. You want to see some comedy at 2 o'clock in the morning. Hey, Rabbi, I want to cheer up myself. I was a little depressed today. So I want to watch some comedy. I want to watch the guy make fun of the crowd, which, by the way, is the worst possible thing you can do. All these comics, by the way, I don't know if there's enough space for them in game, no. Because their job is to make fun of the public. Someone who embarrasses somebody in public has no share of the world to come. It's not a good deal to be comic, at least not that kind of comic. So... You want to watch some comedy? You want to do all those things? Instead of learning Torah, Rabbi Chachina is telling you this is a serious mistake. And the reason why is because Gemara Masechet Chagigah, page 12, says that the only reason why the moon was created was in order for us to use the light of the moon to study Torah. You know, in those days didn't have electricity. Not everybody was rich enough to afford a candle. So at least there was a light from the moon. You're able to study Torah at night. There's a story about They say that part of the reason of why he ruined his vision was as a result of studying at night. He didn't have money when he was a kid, teenager, even young adult. Very, very poor, didn't have any money, no electricity, no nothing. And he would study at night. With the moonlight. We eat coffee, some pretzels, maybe some cookies, a muffin or two. Nice music in the background to make us relaxed. Like we're meditating. The book on a nice stender, can't be more than six months old chair has to be perfect and has to be perfectly cool if it's just one degree hot we have to fix it so what is so important for us about this moon what's so important about this night it's because the same Gemara 
tells us that as soon as the sun comes down, all the demons come out to play. All the bad angels come out to play and come out to run the world. It's no secret that all the biggest sins against Hashem are done at night. Nightclubs, Shem clubs, bars, all these different things. I don't have to tell you. I don't know, you guys can use your own uh, past experience before we do all the tshuva with Hashem or doing tshuva. You don't need to be a genius of what happens in this gone nefesh of a world. All the worst sins that happen, when they happen, they don't happen at 12 in the afternoon. You just woke up at 12 from the night before. It happens at 3 o'clock in the morning. Why do people watch garbage on TV or on the computer at night? Why do they go out to these garbage places that ruin souls, marriages, and everything in between at night? Why does everybody have their secret life at night? Why? Because the influence of the demons is at night. As soon as the sun comes down, Yetzirah takes control. Now we tell people, Tumah, something Tameh. Like, ah, oh, whatever, yeah, it's not good. It's like Netilat Yedayim. You have to purify your hands. Okay, it doesn't sound like a big deal. You tell somebody Nezikim, tell somebody demons. You tell somebody evil spirits. Sounds scary. The two are the same. Tum'ah leads to demons. They go together. It's not that the demons are in clean places. You don't find a demon in the colon. Where everybody's studying Torah, Tamidim Chachamim, Ekdoshim. You don't find him. He's not there. He doesn't study with them. He goes to the nightclub. You don't find them in a kosher wedding where there's a mechitza. All the tzaddikim are dancing on one side. The tzaddikot are on the other side. They don't see each other. Because it's not appropriate or modest for men and women to dance together in public. But the sifra chasidim say that a person is not allowed to go to parties of mixed dancing. And the reason why is because every couple that's dancing together has a few demons dancing with them. They can't see the demons all the time, but they're dancing with them also. And they take them home. They don't leave. The outcome of the dance, the nice little slow dance they teach 12-year-old kids to do, they think it's cute. I remember, I was in public school, little kid, they're like, oh yeah, look, look, they're slow dancing. And the teacher's like, wow, that's so cute. They don't realize they're destroying these people's life. So he says hi, she says hi. They all go home to their own houses, Bezat Hashem. But each one of them is carrying like 15 or 20 demons with them. They're going to torture them at night. Why do you think people have nightmares? Was it just bad luck? They have nightmares? Why do you think people have anxiety? Was just... Their nature, to be anxious. Why do you think people are always stressed out about absolutely nothing? Nothing happened. He's already stressed out. 
Yeah, but nothing happened. I don't know. I don't know. I think something's going to happen. What? What happened? I, I feel it. Something's happening. Yeah, something's happening to you. The demon is whipping you right now, and you just can't see him. The Gemara says there's three people that you have to protect. They have to have, they have to be with somebody all the time. Chatan, Kala, Vechole. Someone that's sick, someone that's a groom and a bride. They have to be with somebody. They cannot be alone. Why? Dechole, the one that's sick, Shemachem. Apparently, there is a decree in Shemaim. There's a decree in Shemaim, so the demons are trying to push it over the edge. Come with us, come to the next world. Go from sick to dead. Don't leave him alone. Don't leave him alone. He's sick, don't leave him alone. People leave people in the hospitals alone for weeks at a time. It's no good. Go visit. Rabbi Akiva said, someone doesn't visit the sick, it's like you killed him. He died, it's your fault. It's not his fault. It's not because of Shaman, it's your fault. Why? He didn't feel his neshama, so no one's coming to visit him. Where's he going to live for? Well, you're only going to visit him when he's rich, successful, and happy? What about when he's sick? What about when he's sick? You're not going to visit him? What kind of friend are you? What kind of family are you? That's one. Sick person, don't leave him alone. Second, bride and groom. Why bride and groom? Demons are jealous. They're jealous. We can't do that. We can't get married. They're about to have a chupayim kiddushim. They're about to have a kosher marriage, which Hashem, all the sins that they made until this point, if they have a kosher chupayim kiddushim, Hashem gives them a wedding present. What's the wedding present? You start from scratch. You start from zero, as if you're like a baby. Yeah, but I was a liar, baby. But I was a cheater, baby. But I was uh, not such a big Talmud Chacham, baby. Every, your account goes to zero. Everything that you can fix, you fix. For example, you stole, you have to give it back. Like somebody does chuba. Oh yeah, but I stole. Okay, so give it back. That completes your chuba. You can't steal twenty million dollars. I'm gonna do chuba now. Doesn't work like that. But my friend, you want to get married? Hashem says I have a wedding present for you. Ish isha zachush chinah benem mishnah. Mishnah says when a ish, a man, veisha and a woman have shlom bayit have. The merit of being together with Shlom Bayit, the Shekhinah comes between them. The Shekhinah of Hashem comes between them. Why? He says, I want to be part of this. This is good. This is holy. But Hashem cannot come down to something that's deformed. When Am Yisrael was in Mount Sinai, before the Shekhinah came down, bunch of people were crippled, missing arms, missing eyes, missing legs. We got beat up for 86 years in Egypt. We were there for 210 years, but 86 of hard years of slavery. Chopped our legs, our arms, our eyes, beat us up. Bunch of crippled people, blind people, deaf people, 
Shekhinah cannot come down and be a part of something that's not perfect. So one of the greatest miracles that ever happened that people don't speak much about is the fact that as soon as Amisal arrived at Mount Sinai, in order for the Shekhinah to come down, Hashem had to perform a miracle first. What was the miracle? Heal everyone. The guy that didn't have an arm grew an arm. Like the starfish. The guy that was blind was now able to see. The one that was deaf was able to hear without an hearing aid. Missing a leg? Now you have a perfect leg. Like it was never missing. Everyone healed. Because the Shekhinah cannot come down and be a part of something that's not perfect. Midrash, Midrash, Me'am Loez. Parashat Yitro. So now, you have yourself a significant thing, a significant gift promised to you from Shemaim. When a man and a woman have peace among them, the Shekhinah is coming down. The Shekhinah can't come down if it's not perfect. So, you're going to get married? You're a baby now. I'm going to make you perfect. But the Shekhinah has to be there. So now if somebody is going to have a mixed dancing wedding, because he wants to make sure everybody has fun. Everybody has fun. You want to have a mixed dance wedding. Shekhinah can't come down to that. So not only is the gift not there anymore, the Shekhinah is not there anymore. And not only that, but instead of going back to being a baby, instead of going back to being a tzaddik, a tahol, something pure, what ends up happening to this bride and groom is that they end up collecting everyone's sins for all the demons they created. So instead of leaving the wedding as babies that are pure and holy, they left as reshaim and reshaim with a million or two million more sins. Shem Elohim. Why? Because they wanted a few people to have fun. Now, let's think about the logic of this, because I know that the whole mixed dance, weddings, bar mitzvahs, bat mitzvahs, whatever other mitzvahs there are that people think that they're doing with these celebrations, it's a big tikkun for this generation. People think that it's a must to have mixed dance events. Even people that are doing tshuva, I know it's wrong. They're like, yeah, but my family is secular. My family is not really religious. How am I going to have a kosher wedding if nobody's going to feel comfortable? Because it has a mechitza. Let's think about this logically and understand how the Yitzhara is fooling everyone. Because really, to have a kosher wedding, it's the easiest thing in the world. Easiest thing in the world. It's easier than keeping Shabbat. It's easier than any mitzvah in Torah. But the Yetzirah has fooled this generation to believe it's the hardest thing in the world and you have to be a charet charedi. Like you have to be like the black and white, black and white. Like you have to be like Gavil Yashiv's grandson to have a mixed dance wedding with kosher people. Well, a, um, sorry, a, uh, a kosher wedding. You can't be someone that's doing a kosher wedding if you're not like a uh, mikubal. Very easy. It's very, very easy. First of all, mechitza is free. It's a piece of board. You put it. It's a sheet. The hall has it. You're paying them a few thousand dollars. They have it. It's free. 
So, no more investment. You don't have to worry about investing. That's one. Everybody's worried about money for the wedding. Doesn't cost any money. That's one. Two, people feeling comfortable. Let's think about it. Whose party is it? Yours or them? If they're coming for them, if they're coming to dance because they want to dance, there's plenty of nightclubs to go to. They don't have to come to your wedding. If they're coming to, you know, do a uh, nice show for everyone, they could do it where there's more people. Go to the nightclub. You don't have to come to your wedding for the, night, for the show. Three, who actually really dances at weddings? Let's think about this. Let's say you have just, statistically, you have 100 people. Most weddings have more, but let's say you have 100 people. Out of the 100 people, 50 definitely don't dance. They sit all day and eat. First meal, second meal, third meal, fourth meal, fifth meal, sixth meal, they don't stop eating. They don't stop eating and drinking. They go to the bar, they eat. They bar, eat, bar, eat. They go like this once in a while just to show people like they're actually moving, they're still alive. And that's it, they don't dance. 50% of the people don't dance. The other 50%, out of them, let's say that's 50, out of them, 35 are going to dance for a few minutes just to show some support. And then they're going to go sit down as soon as they have an opportunity and join the other guys that are eating. Who are the idiots that are dancing all night? Like 15 people. 15 people are doing the whole party. And who are those 15 people? Usually the ones you didn't want to, you didn't want to invite. It's usually the 15 people like, what did I invite this guy for? What is he here? What is, this girl is here? This is what he brought to my wedding? Can't believe I invited this guy. You regret the minute you see him and he's having a blast at your wedding, creating demons at will and destroying your ulama. So what are you destroying your ulama for? What are you destroying your ulama there for? For people you don't even like. Fifteen of them. You know, it's not like there's a hundred people and a hundred people dance. A hundred people not dancing. You're destroying your ulama for nothing. But the Yetzirah convinced you that it's impossible to have a kosher wedding, a kosher bat mitzvah, a kosher bar mitzvah. This old movie... I think I quoted it at least five times over the last few years in the um, lectures. I think his name was, uh, the actor's name was Kevin Spacey. He had a nice line. He said, the greatest thing the devil has ever done was convince everyone that he doesn't even exist. We see this in reality. The greatest thing that we're seeing here with this whole wedding nightmare, all over the world, Jewish weddings have turned into nightclubs even for people that call themselves religious. All of a sudden, the woman that has a kisuyosh the whole year, for the wedding, she has a wig. Why? Why are you wearing a wig for the Now, your whole life you wore kisuyosh with mitpachat, with a hat, you were a nice, kosher lady. Why do you have to be a show-off and put the wig on that you know is not allowed? If you thought it was allowed, you'd wear it the whole year. Why are you wearing it now? No, but everybody else is wearing it. So everybody else jumped off a bridge. You jumped too. One day, she has to ruin the whole mitzvah. Instead of being Kiddush Hashem, showing to the world, you can look pretty, even modest. You can look pretty. You can look with a kisui wash. You don't have to have a, you know, a, one of these Victoria's Secret model hair with the hair over here. You have a nice kisui wash. That's it. Who do you want? Strangers to look at you? Why? 
Why do you want strangers to look at you? Your husband doesn't give you enough attention? What kind of Jew are you? If you're secular, you're secular. Fine, you're secular, that's fine. You don't understand why you're even alive. But if you're already calling yourself religious, why are you acting secular? Why are you wearing a wig? So that's one problem. You have all the kosher ladies, all of a sudden, many of them fail. Many of them fail at these events. They wear wigs during the events. Second thing is, people have to do this mixed dancing. But people don't understand how bad it is. It's to such an extent, this is considered such a sin, that it's areg ve'al ya'avo. This is a sex crime. Mixed dancing leads to wasting seed, leads to promiscuity, leads to immodesty, leads to a lot of, leads to a lot of different major sins in Judaism to such an extent that to go to a mixed wedding, it's areg ve'al ya'avo. You're better off dying and not going. Because you have three sins in Judaism, Judaism, that's better off you die and don't commit them. If someone says, drive on Shabbat or I kill you, you could drive. Eat pig or I kill you, enjoy the pig. But if someone says, kill him or I kill you, die. Someone says, worship uh, J.C. Penny or I kill you, die. Someone says, make a sex crime. Or I kill you, die. Waste seed, or I kill you, die. Go with this woman, or I kill you, die. Dance with this woman in public, or I kill you, die. Go to the beach with all these naked people, die. I didn't make this up. Look. Look at the Alachot, look at the Rambam, look at everything. Find a place that goes against it. People think that, you know, we're machmirim. We don't even know the basics just to be machmirim. The Yetzirah has convinced us it's impossible to have a kosher wedding. Now back to the subject at hand. When someone is not having this kosher wedding, he has a serious problem because instead of giving his guests a good time, instead of having a good time himself, they've now created, everyone's created five or six new family members to their life. They just can't see them. And they call them demons. Those are the ones that are causing you to stress out. Those are the ones that are causing you to be nervous. Those are the ones that are causing you to not have an idea of what's going on. Have a tough time learning Torah, even when you want to. They're the ones that are torturing you. Oh, and by the way, for all you men out there, you know when you have a dream and you see a pretty woman... You know that? There's always, you never actually see like ugly women in dreams. It's always like a pretty woman. Okay, it's always the same woman, by the way, for all of us. All of us have the, well, the dream of the same exact woman. No, she looks differently. The woman he dreams of, or he dreams of, or he dreams of, is different. But it's all the same character. Who is it? Satan's wife. To such an extent that you're not even allowed to say her name. Not allowed to say her name. She's more dangerous than him. You're not to say her name? Not allowed to say her name. Why are you going to call her for? And, and she was following me anyway. You could say Bushinui, like some rappers do. Good luck. I stay away from Shinoi's. 
I just machmir on those things. I try to run away from them. So, the woman that you're dreaming about, even if she looks like your wife, is her. Because that woman only wants one thing. She wants you to waste seed. Why does this woman get so much power over you that she can cause you to waste seed without even moving your body? Someone that's awake has to move their body, has to be intimate with his wife in order to have seed released out of his body. Something has to happen. A natural human being can't just have seed come out of his body with nothing. But somehow we're able to do it when we're sleeping. How? It's all those demons you created. They now go to work. Tonight. And for anyone that's still not sure if wasting seed is really that big of a sin or it's not, we had a whole Oh Hashem, couple of really big shiurim about it, but there's a nice chidush I can give you about it. And this chidush is only about 70 years old. In the 1960s, there was a scientist by the name of Cleve Baxter. And Cleve Baxter got uh, famous. He, was, uh, he worked with the polygraph, which is the lie detector test. But he got famous as a result of taking his polygraph and doing something a little different with it. Instead of just looking to see if people are lying or not, you connect the sensors to plants to see if these plants are, sti- are stimulated in any way, if there's, any, if there's anything there. And interestingly enough, he found out that there's a secret life to the plants. To such an extent that the plants are able to communicate with each other, with other species, and even with human beings. They're able to read our minds. How did he know this? So he connected it with a plant, and you see the reaction, based on the reaction and how the polygraph moves. He compares it to a human reaction. So, for example, when the polygraph makes, let's say, I'll just give you a hypothetical example, makes a really big, you know, three lines, that's the equivalent of a human being being stressed out. When it makes three small lines, then it's the equivalent of a human being being happy. And again, these are hypothetical examples. These are not actual examples of a polygraph. But just for the purpose of understanding. So he saw that when he thought something positive about the plant. Oh, what a beautiful plant. The plant actually had a polygraph move in a way where it made it happy. But when his friend came in, his friend who didn't know what's going on, friend came into his office, and as soon as his friend came into the office, he looked at his plant, and the plant immediately started showing signs of serious, serious sadness. And he asked his friend, what are you thinking right now? Tell me right now what you're thinking. Because you want to know the truth? I need to know what what you're thinking. I just think that my plant's much nicer than yours. And the plant was able to read his mind, and he was offended by it. It's a book called The Secret Life of Plants. Interesting book. Talks about 
this research that Cleve Baxter did in the 1960s, 70s, he did research for 40 years. What does this have to do with our subject at hand? Is that over the next 40 years, he didn't just spend his time with plants. He also started testing different things to see if other things have any type of reaction. One of them was seed, semen. He wanted to see if the semen of a human being is alive or not. And he put that same sensor on semen to see if there's a reaction. And according to his reports, as soon as the owner, as soon as the person that wasted that seed walked into the room, the seed reacted as if a child sees his father. So for anyone that thinks, oh, no, listen, there's only, you know, you have 300 million seeds is the average statistically of what comes out of an average ejaculation, and only one of them is going to have the schut of creating a baby. So that means that 299,999,999 are a waste. They're dead anyway. No, my friend, they were all alive. They just didn't have the schut of being alive and coming in. But now that you wasted them, each one of them turns into a demon. Who is going to join you? It's going to be right there. You can't see him, but he's right next to you. He's the one that's stressing you out. He's the one that's trying to encourage you to make a sin. He's the one that's trying to encourage you to do it again. He's the one that's trying to encourage you to be Mechalel Shabbat. He's the one that's making you tired in the middle of a shield Torah. He's the one that's telling you to cheat on your wife. He's the one that's telling you all the bad things. He's the one that's stimulating you. But he's also the one that Hashem Rachem is going to be very, very angry to see you bring children to the world. And the reason why he's going to be very upset is because why did you bring me to the world? I was one of those seeds. Why did you bring me to the world? And that's why there's actually a minag still to this day, I believe it's in Jerusalem, that until this day, a father that gets buried is not allowed to have his sons carry him and bury him. Because chas v'shalom, he wasted seed even once in his life, that means that his children are in danger. His living children are in danger. So this is both spiritually proven, and now you have obviously another scientific proof, and if you want more scientific proofs, just watch the three-hour lecture that we did in New York, Baruch Hashem, had a lot of success, and a lot of Tamidei Shiva have learned this lecture, and Baruch Hashem have done tshuva as a result of it. And the reason why I specifically mentioned Tamidei Yeshiva is because to tell this to a secular person, it's a chidush, because they didn't even know they were supposed to keep Shabbat in this generation. They thought that driving on Shabbat is okay as long as they're relaxing. When you're secular, you don't know anything. But when you're religious, but no one's ever taught you that wasting seed is one of the top three biggest sins in Judaism, You've been going to Yeshiva your whole life, but no one's ever told you that it's the worst level, worst level in Gainom. It's the worst possible thing you can do. It destroys you in this world and the next world, and so on and so forth. It's a pretty big thing to miss. But that's, I think, is one of the things that's missing in this generation, is that there's a big separation, there's a big gap between the religious world and the secular world. The religious world assumes that everyone knows. 
assumes that everybody's just not keeping just because they don't feel like keeping. They don't feel like keeping Shabbat. They don't feel like being going to the mikveh. They don't feel like doing it. In the religious world, things that the religious people are just doing too much. They're just doing more than they really need to. Because they don't really believe that it's really applicable anymore. I love God just like him. I just don't wear the same clothes. So there's a very big gap between the two for the most part. And being in both worlds, I can tell you from experience. But to such an extent that the religious people don't really know how little the secular people actually know. I give you an example. I think about I think about these things all the time because I think about myself. And every time I learn something new, first I get excited that I learned chidush, and second I get embarrassed because it really wasn't. It was very logical. So what's the chidush? My whole life. Tell you an embarrassing story with myself, but hopefully it helps one of you. So hopefully I was embarrassed for your sake. My whole life, I believed that I was keeping kosher. Now I told everyone already the story that I used to eat, you know, kosher meat, but not kosher every, you know, like dairy or parv, what I would call it. So I would eat pizza in non-kosher places, thinking I'm eating kosher. I didn't realize that there's pork inside the cheese. I didn't realize that's one of the ingredients. But everybody knows this chidush. It's a very, very famous video that I made. But that's not the chidush of today. The chidush of today was something else. My whole life I believed that at the very least, okay, I wasn't a tzaddik, I wasn't this, I wasn't that, but it was a few things that I was keeping. I'll do my sled, I kissed the mezuzah, I said, I shed yatzah, there was a few things I did. Maybe they saved me, who knows? There's one thing that I thought for sure, here, I'm perfect. Food. How? I don't eat milk and meat together. So if let's say, for example, my mom made us, I don't know, some type of uh, stew or some type of meal, and she made it, let's say, with chicken and, I don't know, some other stew, potatoes and a bunch of other things, or meat and potatoes and a bunch of other things, and vegetables and so on, but I didn't really want to eat meat right now. I want to just, because I want to have ice cream. And not have to wait two or six hours. Back then I was keeping two hours. What was it today? Six hours. Two hours, I thought it was enough already. I thought six hours is for the Haredim. So anyway, but you should know, in the Gemara, there's machloket of really how much time you're supposed to keep. But it's a story for another day. But I thought that as long as I don't eat the meat in the stew, I'm fine. I'm parv. I get up ice cream five seconds later. I'm not eating the meat. In my mind, this made perfectly perfect sense. You're eating the meat. I'm not eating the meat. I can have ice cream five minutes later. <laughs> this made perfect sense to me. Now, I'm not stupid. Oh, Hashem, Hashem gave me a brain. But in my Yetzirah mind, this made perfect sense to me for most of my life. Most of my life I thought that as long as I'm not eating the actual chicken itself directly or the meat itself directly, I am parv. And I could eat, I could drink milk five minutes later. Okay, I'm not going to eat them together. But I'm, I didn't consider the fact that it's already in the sauce. 
It's already on the plate. It's already on somewhere in a potato. I'll just move it to the side. Okay, oh, look, Ima, come on. I told you not to put a piece of meat. Okay, just put it to the side. Okay, so I put it to the side. I didn't eat it. So I could have cereal two hours later or an hour later, 20 minutes later. This made perfect sense to me. How did it make perfect sense to somebody that's not stupid? If you're stupid, everything's going to make sense to you. But if you're not stupid, if everybody said you're really smart, if you are top student in high school and college and all these other things, you consider Tamit Chacham, if you're, you're doing for a living is crunching numbers at the highest possible level you can do, if everyone says you're really, really smart, how can you make such a stupid mistake that all of you are laughing inside your hearts right now? Just to remind to make me feel better. You're laughing inside, not outside. But how can somebody smart make such a stupid mistake? The very same demons that you create will be the same ones that will influence you to make stupid decisions. There's an action, there's a reaction. One that understands this will understand that the night, according to Chazal, especially what the Rambam writes about it, in Ilchot Torah, in Chot, in Chot uh, Talmud Torah, chapter 3, Alachat 13, he says the following, even though one is commanded to study Torah both during the day and at night, most of a man's intellectual achievements occur at night. Therefore, one who wishes to merit the crown of Torah should act appropriately at night, being careful not to waste even one night on excessive sleeping, eating, drinking, idle talk, or any other distraction. He should occupy himself solely with Torah study and words of wisdom. The Rambam calls nighttime the blessed hours. In so many words, the commentators on this are saying, the Rambam is, Rambam is really telling you that the only reason why we even tell you to study Torah during the day is because you have to. But if it was purely for the achievement of intellect and to get huge wisdom, night Torah. Most of your chokhmah, you're going to get at night. When everybody else is watching basketball at 11 o'clock at night, you're studying Torah, you're going to be the one that's asking for a bachafim. You're going to be the one that's holy. When everyone is watching YouTube or you this and you that, at 2 o'clock in the morning and playing on Facebook, you're studying Gemara, you're going to be a holy person. You're going to be something special. You're going to know when everybody else is clueless. You're going to be calm when everybody else is nervous. You're going to have a connection with Hashem Yitbalach. You still have to study in the morning. Because Hashem said so. Im lo briti yomam valayla, chukot shamayim va'arash lo samti. He says, if my brit, if my Torah is not studied day and night, the rules of the world will cease to exist. Cease to exist. I destroy the world instantly. So that means you have to study at night and in the morning. You have to make a time. If you could do an hour a day in the morning, an hour a day at night, more, even better, less, fine, at least do something. But don't have a day where you're not studying. 
You have to make time for studying Torah. Now, on the other hand, just like we learn how significant it is to learn Torah at night, Chazal explains us to the same extent it's just as dangerous not to study Torah, to levatel Torah, to waste the time to such an extent that there's a Mishnah written about it right here. Where Rabbi Hanina ben Chachina is telling you, you instead of learning Torah, you're watching YouTube videos, you're watching uh, sports, you're wasting your life, your life's at risk. It's not, oh no, you didn't become a Talmud Chacham. It's not, oh no, listen, he's not a tzaddik. It's not, oh no, he's, uh, you know, whatever, he's, he's average. No, no, my friend. Rabbi Chachina is telling you, your life is mamash at risk. Because what's happening is, instead of you creating angels, they're going to help your neshama get to a higher level. Instead, you're creating demons. Because when are the demons around looking for owners? At night. They're already looking. You're inviting them. Oh, come, come. Oh, chabab. Oh, chabab. Come, watch the basketball trip with me. Watch the uh, movie with me, with... Uh, Half-naked girls. Go, come. Oh, sit next to me. Okay, you finished the movie. He doesn't want to leave now. In the secular world, they refer to 12 and 3 as the witching hours. Sure. In, every, in every ideology, that's the, the commonality in the middle of the night. Really. Nothing good happens between 12 and 3 unless you're studying Torah. Mm. Nothing good. Nothing good. He says that when you're actually spending that time, instead of studying Torah, you're mamash destroying yourself, you're putting yourself at risk. Now, many people ask me, I don't know, I guess since I'm the one that actually made a lecture in English about wasting seed, they made me like some type of uh, expert in it, but it's a very difficult thing to overcome, especially for young generation. So how do you overcome an addiction? According to the Zohar Kadosh, wasting seed is the biggest addiction a human can possibly have. More than any drug, more than money, more than anything else, but wasting seed is the highest level of addiction you can get to because the Rambam explains it's in essence the only reason why you actually even have a body. If Hashem was not going to need for you or want for you to bring children to the world, there would be no purpose for your body. Which in essence means that one of the ultimate purposes of the body is to have to generate seed. So once someone gets addicted to it, it's very, very difficult to stop. Where is this the Rambam? The Rambam, well, I'm talking about right now, in Ilchot Yisurei Be'ah, which we'll go into in a second. So now, how do you overcome this? How do you overcome this huge desire? So in Yichot Yisrael Be'ah, Perik 22, Chaf Bet, Halacha 21, the Rambam says the following, V'chen in'og li'itrachek min ha'schok, u'min ha'schaot v'midivrei ha'agavim. Someone needs to stay away from joking, you know, messing around, doing nonsense. 
שאין לו גורמים גדולים ומעלות של עריות. These are things that lead in essence, and again I'm interpreting it not word for word, but in an understandable language. These are things that lead to the crime of promiscuity, to the sin of sex crimes. ולא יושב ולא אישה שמנהג גב גורם לטהרה יתירה גדולה מכל זאת. אמרו, יפנה עצמו ממחשבתו לדברי תורה וירחיב דעתו בחוכמה. שאין מחשבת עריות מתגברת אלא בלב פנוי מן החוכמה. Don't get, your point, go, don't get to a point of becoming used to this type of behavior. And don't empty your mind from Torah, Torah. And distance your thinking from wisdom. שאין מחשבת עריות מתגברת אלא בלב פנוי מן החוכמה. Because the thought of עריות, which is a sex crime, promiscuity, immodesty, and so on, only takes hold of a לב פנוי, an empty heart, מן החוכמה. The thought of promiscuity, sex, all of those thoughts that are distanced from, from Hashem are only going to enter a mind that's far away from wisdom. And what is wisdom? We know it's Torah. So in so many words, the Rambam is teaching us here the secret of how to overcome wasting seed and really how to overcome all sins. Don't sit there and do nothing. Learn Torah, but to such an extent that you always have some type of chidush or some type of thought, Torah-related thought on your mind. Whether it's Pasha Shavua, or the halachad you learned that morning, or something you learned in shiur, something going on in your mind. Because as soon as your mind is empty of any Torah thought, it's in essence considered an empty mind. Once it's an empty mind, you're leaving the door open for promiscuity to enter, because that's in essence what your body is asking for. As soon as your body feels there's a need for him to do something, because your neshama is bored, that's what the body is doing. So, the secret, learn. It's not such a big secret. So now, I had a couple of Tamidish Yeshiva and actually a couple of Avachim that contacted me about this issue 
And one guy told me, listen, I learn. I learn. Serious. That, this, that, the other thing. But I still have this problem. So get married. So I'm married. I have kids. I have kids. And I still have this problem. As soon as I have free time, Benazmanim, or my wife goes to sleep, immediately I put on something on the TV, on the um, computer, or the phone, or something, and destroy my life. How? How do I stop this? Rambam gave the answer. Rambam gave the answer, he's telling you that the only way you're going to get to a point of actually even desiring that sin is if you have a lef panui mi meaning is if you have some space you're leaving some space you're not using all of your mind and the answer was that yes you're studying Torah but not at your level you're studying just to fill a void you're studying because you have to go you have to study that's what you do at a kolel they study Gemara you study Gemara they study Shukhan you study Shukhan you smoke 18 cigarettes a day, you make a couple of phone calls here and there, you talk with each other, you're studying, you're there, but you're not studying, studying, you're studying. Yeah, there's studying and the study. So there's two things you have to do. One, get serious with study. How? Do something called Tani Tibu. When you're studying, don't talk. But anything mundane, it's not easy, it's not for the average person, but anyone that wants miracles in their life, do this for two hours a day, for at least 90 days in a row. You want a serious miracle, like I'm not not a miracle worker, not a Kabbalist, I'm not anything, but I know this works. You want a serious miracle. You do Tani Dibu, two hours. Serious learning. Now don't start learning like a, uh, you know, you're learning a uh, ABCs. Learn serious Torah for two hours straight. Two hours every day for 90 days straight. You can become something special. Do it for longer, obviously even better. But 90 days straight, no breaks. Even if it's Yom Kippur. So that's one. No, two hours you spread it over a week. Yeah, two hours in a row. What's, what's the meaning if it's not two hours in a row? If it's not two hours in a row, it's not really studying. If you're studying five minutes in the morning, five minutes in the afternoon, five minutes dead, and you can study it over a period of a week. If it's two hours in a row, that's, that's, that's a, a serious study. The Arizal actually said that if you're not studying for four hours in a row, you didn't really study. But we're not at that level. Let's go to two hours. Two hours in a row of serious study. That's step number one. Two, study things that are at your level. Which for him, for this specific Avrech, what he was studying was not at his level. It's fine. Studying Gemara is good. It was just tochen mine, grinding water. I had to do something a little bit more difficult. And Baruch Hashem, he did it, changed his life. Marriage got better, kids got better, life got better, everything got better. So I know this works. Go ahead, your question. Um, is listening to like a shir the same thing? It is considered Torah, but it's not considered the same level. It is considered Torah if you're a beginner, if you're just starting out, listening to Shul Torah is great. You need to listen to Shul Torah. Even if you're not a beginner, you should listen to some Shul Torah from time to time. But um, if you are already in for a while, 
then you have to do more. You have to do more than just Shuvah Torah. You have to listen to Shuvah Torah plus, you know, something else. If you're a Talmud Yeshiva, then you have to study from the books. You're at a level of studying from the books. If you're just starting out, then it's Shuvah Torah is fine. If you're somewhere in uh, between, then you could split it up. You could do an hour of Shuvah Torah and an hour of uh, Gemara. An hour of, you know, a uh, something something that stimulates your brain. You know, don't just read like Sipurei Tzadikim. It's, yes, it's considered Torah. No, don't disrespect the Sipurei Tzadikim or any part of the Torah. All of it is good. But if you want miracles to happen pertaining to this 90, uh, 90 day thing that I'm talking about, it has to be Torah that causes you to sweat. Like I've been sweating for the last hour and a half here from the heat, like that. You forgot to turn on the air conditioner today. Now he did because Sadiq in the back turned it on because he was suffering. You saw me suffering, so he started suffering for me. You've been watching me melt over here like an ice cream. <laughs> so where does Rambam get his a uh, <clears throat> get his chidush from? In Ilchot Yisurebea, he gets it from this Mishnah because this Mishnah says. One who turns his heart to idleness. Person that leaves his heart open to nonsense. He's thinking about baseball and basketball games. He's thinking about the stock market of what's going to happen tomorrow when the market opens at 9.30. He's thinking about stock options that he bought and whether it's going to expire on Friday. He's thinking about the girl that he met, whether she's the one or she's not the one. He's thinking about what is he going to do this weekend. He's thinking about shtuyot. He's thinking about this world. He's not thinking about the next world, the real world. He says, him? For sure he's going to create demons. Maybe not now, in an hour from now. He's going to meet what? Maybe not now, maybe in an hour from now. Maybe two hours. But he's definitely going to create demons tonight. Why? <laughs> His heart is empty. He says, no chokhmah in it. There's nothing there. He's wasting his life. And that's why when someone is wasting their life, he's telling you, you're putting that life on the line. Not that you're mamash going to get hit by a truck that minute, but it's that you're creating those same demons that are going to torture you your whole life. And even if you go with such an extent of bitul Torah to such an extent that it actually does it. Rabbi Shimon Yochai says people that actually are mevatel Torah that are wasting their time it does say that they actually uh, are bringing death to their life. So for ultimate foundation of the shiur we covered but you guys I'm sure have some questions I mean I have a bunch of other things I could talk about but it seems like you guys have more questions than I have answers so let's see let's start go ahead you talked about the weddings Ken sometimes I go to religious weddings oh sometimes I go to religious weddings everyone sits together men and women but the dancing is separate okay is that kosher Preferably, it's you know it's it's a uh, should be separate seating, but it is allowed. Halachically, it's allowed. You're allowed to sit next to as long as your wife. You sitting next to your wife. You sit next to your wife. You don't sit next to somebody else's wife. Halachically, it's allowed. 
Um, but don't dance. Don't dance together. Next. Is wasting seed like the same as adultery, or is it like adultery is being with a uh, you know being with a woman you're not allowed to be with. Whereas wasting seed is you could do it by yourself. The outcome of adultery is, is wasting seed, so yes. But with adultery, you get a couple of sins. You get the wasting seed part and the adultery part. You have double whammy. So adultery In essence. You said that when you waste seed, all the like seeds die and become demons, mm-hmm. right? So Chazal asks, if wasting seed is such a big deal, then obviously Avraham Avinu, who knew the entire Torah, much, much more than we could even imagine knowing, to such an extent that Argmara, Masechet Avodah Zarah, the tractate of Avodah Zarah, it's only a handful of parts, a handful of sections. His was 4,000 sections. Meaning, just his Gemara, Avodah Zarah, some say 400, some say 4,000, either way, it's a lot. It's more than our entire Gemara. Just his one tractate is bigger than our entire Gemara. So how, if he knew that his wife can't bring children to the world, he knew. It wasn't a secret. He knew, he's a prophet. His wife was a prophet. They knew. What are you still doing it for? What are you trying for? You know it's not going to happen. It's wasting seed, No. Zal explains, I believe this is the Midrash Gadon, and maybe actual source in the Zohar. That all of those seeds that they used for the 90 years of not having children, or obviously a little less than that, ended up creating the Neshamot of all the Girim, of all the converts. Which is part of the reason of why every convert says, My father is Abraham. He created you 4,000 years ago. So what happens to them, to the people who aren't like... Aren't doing it. Or, Obviously those, they, you know... Do they get recycled? Like, do they go back up and then... Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, it's, it's similar to what you're saying. It's, uh... And even for for us, let's say, what about, okay, if a woman's pregnant, are you wasting seed, right? No. So, here's the thing. Say, you're responsible, you're responsible for effort, not outcome. In life in general, Hashem does not punish you for effort. He punishes he, he punishes you for lack of effort. The outcome is only in his hands. Just like we were talking about in the beginning of the shiur. We can't do anything, really. Everything is Hashem. One of the, you know, these ten remembrances. The tenth remembrance, or the ninth remembrance, that you have to repeat every day after shachrit, or at any point during the day, is that Hashem, in essence, is responsible for everything, responsible for your panasah, and so on. Which in essence is a reminder that not only is he responsible for your panasai, he's responsible for everything. Because you as a human being can't do anything. You want to believe you can do something, but in reality you can't. You can, you know, depend on Hashem. You want to move your hand? Hashem has to allow you to move your hand. You want to see? Hashem has to allow your eyes to see. You want to think? Hashem has to allow your brain to function. And so on. Hashem is everything. So, in essence... We are responsible for ishtadlut, for effort, for trying, for exerting effort. But as far as outcome, what actually happens as a result of that effort, that is something that only Hashem can decide. 
you can work, not nine to five, but 24 hours a day and still be poor. There's many, many people that work very, very hard, much harder than all of us put together, and they're still broke. And there's some people that barely work and are multimillionaires. Multimillionaires. Why? Hashem decided he's going to be a millionaire and he's going to be broke. The outcome is not because you're a hard worker. Don't think you became rich because you're a hard worker. Don't think you became successful because you're smart. Don't think your wife is beautiful because you're so wonderful. Hashem decided this and Hashem decided that. In essence, getting to the bottom line of your question, Hashem is responsible for the outcome. We are responsible for the effort. You are obligated as a man to try to fulfill the mitzvah of pu'ubu, of bringing children to the world. A woman is not obligated, but obviously it's a nice partnership. So now, you're responsible to try. Whether you're going to have children or not, it's not up to you. But you have to try. And you're not allowed to not try until you at least fulfill the mitzvah, which means you had at least one boy and one girl. This is the reason why there's no hetel to take birth control pills just because you want to have fun. You're only allowed to take birth control pills if there is some medical issue, if you just gave birth. You have to get rabbinical approval to do it, not just you feel like having fun. Oh no, we're still too young, or we want to go on vacation this year and I want to look good in my bikini. There's no etel. So, you have to fulfill the mitzvah pu'ubu because in essence you're gonna have, you have to do it. So now, if two people fulfill that mitzvah, they try to bring children to the world. They do their share. There's no kid. It's not their problem. It's Hashem's problem. He decided there's not going to be a kid. Somebody 60 years old, 70 years old, they can't. Physically, they can't bring a kid to the world. She already went through that time. She already passed that time. His seed doesn't... Something. Can't happen. Physically, cannot happen. Not your problem. You're responsible for effort. Outcome, that's his business. If someone understands this, everything in their life changes. Same thing obviously goes for someone that's pregnant. Obviously, if a woman's pregnant, she can't get pregnant twice. She's already pregnant. Same thing. Again, it's not your problem. Number one, the reason why Hashem made it enjoyable is because if it wasn't enjoyable, no one would have kids. One person in the neighborhood would have a kid. Everybody would see what the headache the kids bring in. No one else would have a kid. So Hashem made it enjoyable. If He wanted you to just be like animals, He wouldn't make it enjoyable. And then no one would have any kids and the world would be destroyed. So you made it enjoyable, which means you're supposed to enjoy it. But there's a kosher way to enjoy intimacy. You don't have to be a lion. You can enjoy intimacy. But there's a a kosher way to do it. So Hashem gave us a certain amount of privileges, a certain amount of time to spend with our wives, a certain amount of time not to spend with our wives, a certain amount of times to be together, a certain amount of times not to be together, a certain amount of time that you can be pregnant, a certain amount of time you can be pregnant. The point is that as long as you are within those boundaries, your life will be wonderful. Your intimate life, your you know, spiritual life, material life, everything will be wonderful. As soon as you start going out of that circle and start creating your own circle, that's when problems begin. Yeah. But is that only under the context in which you engage in traditional sexual encounter with see scope within the woman? Yes, well it's as long as long as you are doing, you know, you're performing intimacy in a kosher way. So that means that the semen has to go in the place it's supposed to go. You know, otherwise it's considered spilling seed. 
it's considered wasting seed. If, uh, if it's going anywhere else in the body or anywhere else, then it's considered spilling seed. We learned this from Eren Onan. Eren Onan, which were the two uh, children of uh, Judah, Judah, they both had the same wife. And both of them were killed by Hashem, even though this was before Matan Torah. This was even before the Torah. And the reason why is because they both found Tamar to be ultra-beautiful. She was one of the most beautiful women that ever existed. And they said, listen, if she gets pregnant, it'll ruin her beauty. So they ejaculated, but just not inside. Somewhere else. So Hashem said, oh, okay, you don't want to bring kids to the world? Fine, I don't need you either. So he killed both of them. This is also one of the major strongholds of where we, lo- where we learn that wasting seed is also a sin for goyim. It's not to the same level of sin as Jews, but it is definitely something that Hashem frowns upon and, and views as something disgusting. So in essence, as far as seed, you're supposed to try. You're supposed to. The seed is supposed to go in the vagina. There's no other place that a woman can get pregnant. And as long as it's there, you're fine. Whether there's a baby or not is not your business. Whether you become rich or not, not your business. Whether you are going to become a Talmit Chacham or not, not your business. You are just supposed to try. As long as you try, they can't complain about you. You go up to Shemayim, say, listen. They're not going to say, listen. Amos, why won't you Moshe Rabbeinu? What do you mean? You made me Amos. I can't be Moshe Rabbeinu. Oh, you know what? You're right. Why won't you be Moshe Rabbeinu? I'm going to be Moshe Rabbeinu. You have to be Amos. That's what Rabbi Zusha. Rabbi Zusha, they would ask him, Rabbi, what are you trying to be your whole life? What's your, what's your, what are you trying to be? I'm just trying to be Rabbi Zusha. Yeah. What about Rabbi Akiva, Moshe Rabbeinu, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai goes, no, no, I'm just trying to be Zusha. Just Zusha, not even Rabbi Zusha, just Zusha. Why Zusha? He goes, because when I go up to Shemaim, they're not going to ask me, why won't you Moshe Rabbeinu? Why won't you Rabbi Akiva? They made me Zusha, I'm going to be Zusha. I'm going to be the best possible Zusha I can be. So you have to try to be the best version of you, not someone else. But that also means you can't waste time. You can't just spend your time with pilpulim. Pilpulim means like just like mental stimulation for absolutely no reason whatsoever. It's like a, you know, a, um, there's a word for it in English I keep forgetting. Uh, huh? No, no, it's not for entertainment. Yeah, I guess it's entertainment, but it's not. There's something else for it. Whatever. You got the message. Go ahead. You had a question. Yeah, one, I heard a tale of a woman only eight years old. And Hashem still killed him, even though it was before Bar Mitzvah. Yes, I mean, but the thing is, though, is that whether we're eight years old or not is irrelevant because an eight-year-old 4,000 years ago, 4,000-plus years ago, is different than an eight-year-old today, just like we learned from uh, the Imaot, uh, the matriarchs. You know, she was three years old when, uh, when, when he met her and six years old when they got married. You, you makes the people that think that's a regular six-year-old of today makes the Avot, Chashvashavim, look like uh, pedophiles. So obviously we know that it's not a six-year-old of today. How do we know? What's the proof? You see that she actually watered ten camels. What six-year-old can lift one bucket to water one camel? So it's like the duration of time. Yeah, so it's not, it's not. It was three, she was on earth only three years or only six years or only eight years, but the body developed differently. People were much bigger back then. They matured much faster and so on. People, that's the problem with people is today, especially, really all the time, but especially today, is that people put permanence on everything. Meaning that we think that everything is was always like this, will always be like this. If I'm sad, I'm always going to be sad. 
If I'm happy, I'm always going to be happy. If I'm rich, I'm always going to be rich. If I'm sick, I'm always going to be sick. Everybody thinks that everything is always going to be. Always was, always will be. People are always this big. People are always this, this. It's wrong. The world is the way it is now, but it wasn't always like this. We are not smarter than our ancestors just because we have iPhones. As a matter of fact, previous generations were drastically smarter than us. To such an extent that anyone that learns just a little bit about Rambam, he learns a little bit of Rambam, I think I told you guys this, learns a little bit of Rambam, understands within, I don't know, learn it for a couple hours, three hours, four hours, actually, serious learning of Rambam, you'll understand that our intellect, as smart as you are, you can have 200 IQ. As smart as you are, your intellect is closer to a monkey than the Rambam. You're closer, there's no I'm, I'm included in the monkey equation here. The intellect of the smartest human being today is closer to the monkey's intellect than this to the Rambam from 900 years ago. So he didn't have an iPhone, he didn't have an iPad, he didn't have a computer, it doesn't mean anything. Technological advancement doesn't mean intellect. You know, so, and also keep in mind that the ones that actually are smart are the ones that create something, not innovate. Innovation is good, but it's not like creation. It's not like really inventing something. Good. So, let's see, we all have probably billions and billions of shadid. Uh-huh. We made. How do we kill them all? You kill them off by studying Torah, hard Torah. Every time you sweat, like literally sweat from learning Torah, you are destroying all those demons. Every time you are actually uh, learning one word of Gemara, one word of uh, the Rashi, one word of the Tosfot, one word of the all the Midrashim, all of those things. Every time you get yourself to a point of stimulating your mind, finding out what, what is he talking about here? What does he want from me? What is Hashem saying here? I read the same page for three hours. I still don't understand a word. You know how hard it was for me to learn Gemara when I first started? It took me six and a half hours on the average to learn one daf. One daf, six and a half hours. I wanted to kill myself. I'm like, what do you mean? I was the smartest guy ever and I, I'm an idiot. And my last thought, I was like, I'm a retarded. There's something wrong with me. I wanted to quit 500 times. And if it wasn't for the respect that I had for my Rav, I would have quit. Not once, not twice. A million times. You know how many times I wanted to quit? What do you mean? I was always, I'm used to being the smart guy. Now I'm all of a sudden retarded. I can't figure out what this guy is saying. I'm learning it for six hours. And after the six hours, I still don't know what he's talking about. It's not like after six hours, I'm like, I know by heart. Six and a half hours just to read the words. What? Rashi. This, this. Six and a half hours, and I look at the page. No clue what just happened here. I have no clue what just happened here. I just experienced six and a half hours, and I have no idea what's going on. And what I had to do in the beginning, give you guys a little bit of a secret of how much I had to torture myself to learn to lie in the beginning. I still have to torture myself a little bit. I used to study outside. I used to study outside a lot. And the reason why... Is because it was hot or really it's either too hot or it's too cold. So either way, my body was torturing. My body's tortured. That means I'm staying awake. The guy's good. It's not going to kill you, demons. The guy's good, but you need to do more. You need to go out of your nature. Go to, out of your nature. The biggest thing is learning to learn. Learn to learn hard. Learn hard. If it's easy for you, it's not enough. You gotta go. You gotta purify your neshama. You gotta purify your body. You gotta get all the dirt, all the animal that you created off. All the things that people talk about, the klipot, the klipot, forget about that stuff. We're far away from that. Learn basics. Learn halacha. Learn gemara. Learn basic rashi with uh, five books of Moses. Don't go into this, 
mystical stuff. But I'm telling you, it all exists. We talked about all this stuff for the last two hours because it exists. But it's not because we're supposed to focus all, all of our attention on this stuff and, oh, every time I make a sin, I have demons. Not that. The point of this talk is not for everyone to start worrying about all the demons that are following them all day. The point of this talk is to understand that we have there's a consequence to our actions. Just because you can't see it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It exists. It exists. So when you are awake, excited, and it's only 8 o'clock at night, and as soon as you open a Gemara, all of a sudden, it's like Malach it put the uh, death on you. You had to fall asleep five minutes into it. What happened? How? I was awake. I just slept for five hours. I woke up, I opened up Gemara, fell asleep. What happened? The sins are causing it. That means you have to fight harder. Study five minutes, take a rest. Study another five minutes, take a rest. Study five minutes, take a rest. Chew something. Move your mouth. Chew gum. Don't eat like heavy food because it'll make you tired. Chew gum. Uh, you know, you keep keep yourself keep yourself busy. Busy. Kiruv helps a lot because Kiruv gives you schuyot. Kiruv gives you schuyot. You're saving in Hashem, or Hashem's gonna save you. Kiruv helps definitely. Kiruv because that's that's the second strategy. First thing is learning Torah. Second thing is. Uh, doing Kiruv because the reason why but doing Kiruv specifically for this sin if you do Kiruv for Michalel Shabbat Baruch Hashem it's good but if you specifically educate the public or uh, publicize lectures that are talking about wasting seed then that's going to be your tikkun for that sin because if you are causing somebody else to not waste seed then it's as if it's saving you from something that you did. Same thing with Shabbat. You caused somebody else. You were Mechalel Shabbat in the past. Or I was Mechalel Shabbat in the past. Now if I help somebody else keep Shabbat, it's like I keep two Shabbats. I keep Shabbat, and he's now keeping Shabbat. So now I kept two Shabbats. Now it's three people keep Shabbat. Now it's me and two other people, and so on and so forth. So that means that every Shabbat, it could be me and a thousand people keeping Shabbat. It counts as, a, as if I kept a thousand Shabbatot. That's what makes up for all the Shabbatot that I missed out on in the past. Same thing with wasting seed. Every time you have one, two, three, four, five, ten guys that are stopping to waste seed, either because they got married or they realize it's really bad, whatever it is, but it's due to you influencing them, that's the biggest form of doing chuba for it. So there's two parts to the chuba, but don't think that one can be done without the other. Because a lot of people think, okay, I'm just going to focus on Kiruv. I'll focus on publicizing your own lecture. I'm going to post it, share, share, share five million times every day on Facebook. And that's it. And I'll be fine. No, it's not going to be fine. And the reason why is because in order to do Kiruv or be part of Kiruv, you have to have merit in Shemaim. Because Hashem says this to Jeremiah. I believe it's in chapter 31 or 33 in the book of Jeremiah. And he says, If you bring someone precious, you make someone precious from when he used to be Zoleh, there used to be like a waste, somebody that was wasting his neshama, someone that was not righteous. You make someone that's wicked into righteous, you will be like my mouth. What does it mean, like you will be like my mouth? Chazal explains it, is that just like Hashem says to the tzaddikim, I created the world, and I can revive the dead, you will be the same. 
So now, if Hashem is telling you, you help somebody else do tshuva, that means that whatever comes out of your mouth, it's as if I said it. If you pray for somebody, I, there's a decree in Shamaim, Shalom, somebody to be sick, somebody to die, somebody to lose money, somebody to something bad supposed to happen. But you, the Mezakeh Abim, the one that does Kiru, prays for that person, Hashem says, even though there's a decree that I signed already in Shamaim for something to happen, but you prayed, you overturned the decree. So now, for Hashem to say, listen, for me to give you that license, that license to be like my mouth, I can't just give it to any poshia, to any criminal. You have to have merit. So now, without learning Torah, how are you going to get the merit? Because without learning Torah, you're a rasha. If you're not learning Torah, if you're spending all your time watching YouTube videos about ducks crossing the street and the cops saving them, you're watching Daldasim, you're watching Smurfs on TV. You're watching, uh, I don't know, Britney Spears showing her body naked to the world. You're watching all this Ta'avat Hashem. How are you expecting to be a tzaddik? How? You're taking the diamonds Hashem gave you and you're replacing them with coals. You're saying it's a mitzvah and you want to merit for it too? There's no bigger chutzpah than you. Do you understand? So to do kiruv, you have to learn Torah. One go, doesn't go with the other. other. He sent me a video yesterday because of Halifan Kachla. He said, the more Yirat Shemaim you have, the more people will listen to your Torah and accept it. Okay, that's Chazal. That's Chazal. The, uh, the biggest thing, the biggest, most important thing for someone, let's say, Mezakeh Rabim, someone that teaches the public, someone that is wants people to listen to the words that are coming out of his mouth, has to come from Yirat Shemaim. Without Yirat Shemaim, there's no chance for anyone to listen to you. And this is actually one of the biggest problems of this current generation. And this is pure siyat You asked me this because I was trying to figure out how to connect it to this lecture. You asked me this question, so I answered it. Now, most people think that the problem with teaching only began in this generation. It's a mistake. Rabbi Israel Misalant lived in almost 200 years ago started the Musar movement and even though he didn't write a book he wrote many letters and his students kept those letters and one of his main disciples Rabbi Yitzchak Blazer put them all together and it's it's an amazing book unfortunately it's out of publication which kind of shows you how this mistake is continuing. It's called All Israel. I had to buy the second hand because they don't sell it in the market. In this book, Bezat Hashem, maybe the next series after we finish Perkei Avot. Okay. So in essence, when someone is telling you don't fear Hashem, He's telling you, don't believe in Hashem. That's what he's telling you. Because Chazal here is telling you that without fearing Hashem, there's no connection. The Rambam in Mishneh Torah, Yesodea Torah chapter 1, says the following. 
He says that there are two verses in the Torah that seem to contradict each other. The first one indicates that the heavenly fear brings a person to performance of mitzvot. As it says in Sefer Dvarim, Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12 and 13. It says, Now, O Israel, what does Hashem your God ask of you? Only to fear Hashem your God, to observe the commandments of Hashem and His decrees. So here we learn, Hashem said, what does Hashem want from us? He wants us to fear Him, which Rambam says, oh, it's, after that it says to serve, to serve uh, His commandments. So in essence, fearing Hashem leads us to doing His commandments. But on the other hand, the second verse teaches us that we are only commanded to perform the mitzvot in order to fear Hashem. It's also written in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 24. Hashem commanded us to perform all of these decrees to fear Hashem your God. So, the Rambam explains, what's the, so how do we explain this, this contradiction? On one hand, he's telling us, fear him so you do the mitzvot. Another end is telling them, do the mitzvot so you can fear him. It seems like there's two opposites. Which one comes first? So he says the following. He says, the resolution to this contradiction lies in the fact that there are three different tiers of fear. The first one is the beginning, which precedes the observance of the mitzvot. This is the fear of the king, which prevents a person from transgressing his directives. This is yirata onish. This is fear of punishment. Outright saying... You're going to do any. You're not going to do anything until you're afraid of punishment. We'll explain in more detail in a second. It is concerning this level of fear that we read in Pekei Avot. Rabbi Chanina Ben Dosa says anyone who fears of sin takes precedence over his wisdom. Anyone whose fear of sin takes precedence over his wisdom, his wisdom will endure. The second tier of the of the end is that this is true fear. This is yirat aromemut. Fear of his majesty, of his divine majesty, meaning that a man cannot attain this level until he first performs all of the mitzvot. After reaching this stage, a person then shifts to the virtue of love, for a person can only love the Almighty after first coming to fear. Explanation in simple English is this Rambam and Abib Salami Salant. And his uh, disciple is telling us the following. To say that you're going to love Hashem by skipping the Yerat Hashem is impossible. Because as soon as you want to love something, first you have to identify what it is. What it is. You can't say, I love her, and you don't know who her is. You can't say, I love him, but you've never met him, saw him, heard of him, or even anything. You have to know what you're dealing with. There has to be a connection. In order to have a genuine connection with Hashem Yidbarach, obviously, you have to identify Him as the Creator. Otherwise, it's not Hashem. If it's a friend, it's not Hashem. If it's a brother, it's not Hashem. If it's a king of kings, it's Hashem. Once you understand that he's the king of kings, the creator of all creations, the first and the last, there wasn't anything before him, there will never be anything after him, that he controls everything, that there's no outcome in the world that's without him pressing the trigger, that there's no leaf that ever gets the ability to fall off a tree without Hashem saying, allowed. You're allowed to fall off a tree. 
There's no permission for your eye to blink unless Hashem says aloud, aloud to blink. As soon as you understand the significance of this King of Kings, of course you're going to fear him. He's responsible for everything. Unless you're crazy. And if you're crazy, you're not really looking to fear Hashem. So you're not part of this conversation. But thank you for watching. He gave us more views on YouTube. So the point here is that as soon as you understand who you're dealing with, of course you're going to fear him because Chas Shalom is going to punish you. The human creation was created in such a way that we only act most of our actions out of fear. You go to work not because you want to make money. You go to work because you don't want to be poor. People are more afraid of being poor than aspiring to be rich. Proof? Why do people that are making $10 an hour still go to work? They know that tomorrow is going to be the same thing. They're also going to make $10 an hour. They're not going to suddenly make $100 an hour. They're not going to suddenly invent the next Facebook. They're still going to make 10 bucks an hour tomorrow. Why do they go to work? Because they don't want to be broke. They don't want to be homeless. They don't want to starve. They go to work because they fear poverty. Why do people have a partner? Because they fear loneliness. Why do people eat? Because they don't want to starve to death. Why do people get educated? Because they don't want to be called stupid and be the guy that's cleaning bathrooms at the age of 60 years old making $10 an hour. They want to be the guy that's paying him $10 an hour but owns the building. We operate out of fear. Everything. So anyone that tells you don't be afraid doesn't want to be human. He wants to be something else. So, the same thing goes with connecting to Hashem It has to start with identifying what you're dealing with. As soon as you identify what you're dealing with is Hashem Yitbarach, it's the creator of all creations, of course you're going to fear Him. But your aspiration, your goal, should be to get higher. Not to only fear punishment, but to get to a higher level. Like the relationship between a man and a wife when it's a healthy relationship. What is the relationship between a man and his wife in a healthy relationship? They fear hurting each other. They don't fear punishment from the other side. The wife is not fearing a husband slapping her, and the husband is not fearing his wife stabbing him. As long as it's a, again, a healthy relationship. What do they fear? They fear that they will offend each other. They fear that they will hurt each other. They fear that they won't talk to each other or possibly love each other any less. That's what a healthy relationship fears. That is a healthy fear. That's the fear you want to aspire to. Once you get to that level of fear with Hashem, where you are afraid of hurting the relationship you have with Hashem, you're afraid of Him stepping one step away from you. Because every sin puts a, puts a block between you and Him. Every time you make a sin, puts a block between you and Him. Every time you make a mitzvah, you push it away. Every time you fix a midah, you push it away. 
In Shmona Prakim, the Rambam Shmona Prakim, he says, what was the difference between Moshe Rabbeinu, the prophet of prophets, and all the other prophets? Why does the Shayla Moshe Rabbeinu spoke to Hashem face to face? But all the other prophets, they spoke to Hashem through a trance, through meditation, through sleeping, dreams, and so on. What was the difference? Moshe Rabbeinu, the Rambam says, purified his midot to such an extent that the only thing that was separating him and Hashem was like a blurry glass. Whereas all the other prophets didn't purify themselves to that extent, and it was thicker. Same thing with us. We want to get there, we want to get to a real good relationship with Hashem Barach, fear punishment. Eventually graduate to a point of fearing hurting the relationship. Once you fear hurting the relationship, then Rabbi Yisrael Misalant is telling you, then you're going to start loving Him. That is the beginning of loving Hashem. Meaning the highest level of fear is the beginning of love. But you can't get this love by skipping fear. Because loving Hashem without fearing Him is impossible. It's not me saying it. This is everywhere. Tzadikim, Musar, Gemara, anywhere. So how do you explain so much teaching today of all these people with long payers telling you, love Hashem, love Hashem. Yeah, He loves you. He's your brother. He's your father. He's your sister. He's your everything. And it, they all, everything you know, it makes Hashem, Hashem Yachem sound like a care bear. Oh, He loves you. You're wonderful. Yeah, Shabbat. Yeah, but He loves you. Yeah, He loves you, but He's going to punish you if you don't do tshuva. You, you know that, right? It says in the books. What is this? Where is this coming from? I don't know. That I don't know. What I do know, I know business. Ran a multi-million dollar firm for 16 years. I know a little bit about business. And I know that being nice, telling people what they want to hear, telling people that said Yikim, telling them they don't have to improve, that they're all perfect, they're all wonderful, making them feel good inside, making them feel like Care Bears, opens wallets. Makes donations much larger. Builds buildings, even though they're conservative and reform shuls. So, on those, they say, when you're not allowed to teach Torah for money, that's what it's referring to. It's not referring to that you're not allowed to collect tzedakah. If you're a rabbi, it's teaching Torah, and you don't, you're not spending any time working in a regular world, you're allowed to collect tzedakah. There's no problem. You're tamit chacham, you're allowed to live on tzedakah. People give you tzedakah, no problem. But when you become a kufir, when you change the Torah, and you make it sound like a... Uh, one of these uh, uh, fairy tale stories, just because that's what opens wallets, then, my friend, on you they say, Ahu. On those such people, they call them Ahu. Ahu is the worst possible curse there is in the Torah. Source, Parashat Bichukotai, or Parashat Kitavo. Whichever one you want to pick. One is worse than the other. Pick one. Next question. Say so we finished the entire Torah? What we fear Hashem, of course. If you obviously fear Hashem, it's going to project in your voice, going to project in your character, it's going to project in your behavior. And even if you don't know how to talk, but you fear Hashem, you will impact people's life. If you fear Hashem seriously, you don't even have to talk. If Hashem gave you the gift of speaking, you have speaking ability, then obviously you have to use the talent that Hashem gave you. 
But if Hashem didn't give you an ability, He still expects you to help people do tshuva. How? With whatever gift He did give you. You all, every one of you, has some type of gift that can influence somebody else to do tshuva. Everyone has that gift. Because there's no way that Hashem is going to create you in such a way where He's going to make it impossible for you to fulfill such a big mitzvah. There's no such thing as missing out. Chazal explains to us that Hashem, just like He created things that are not allowed, He created something that's equally allowed that tastes the same. Meaning, if someone complains, Bulia actually, I think it was Bulia and Gemara, complained to Rabbi Meir. He says to him, listen, Hashem said, forbade us from uh, eating uh, pork. But out of, at the same time, he told us that he, we're not going to lack anything in this world. So how could it be? Rabbi Meir tells us, no, no, there's something else that tastes exactly like pork. It's called, it's a fish called shibuta. And I found out from one of my students in Africa that they still have it in Africa. They have shibuta, it's called. I don't know if it's called shibuta in, uh, in African, but it's called shibuta. Uh, it tastes just like pork somehow. Personally, I don't like fish anyway, so whether it's pork or not pork, I hate it. But as far as, as, far as that, it's just one small example where there's no way that you lack anything. Same thing with kiruv, same thing with any mitzvah. Shem is not going to create you with the inability to fulfill such a big mitzvah. It doesn't necessarily mean that everybody has the gift of gab. Not everybody has to become a professional speaker. Not everybody necessarily has to be very rich. But he definitely gave you the ability to be part of Kiruv to fulfill this mitzvah. How? You obviously have to assess your gift, your time, and your resources. Sometimes people have money, they donate. Sometimes people have talent, they donate the talent. Sometimes people have the gift of gab, they talk. Sometimes they have, uh, they're smart, they can help others. They can write books. You do a million and a half things to help people get closer to Hashem. And every time you help people get closer to Hashem, you will be blessed. To expand on what he said, there's a, there's a thought that um, the psyche always recognizes truth. So if you're embodying your truth, you don't even have to convey a message. Subconsciously, people will just see something within you that resonates within them because inherently we all share that same need for validation from the Heavenly Father, that eternal fear. So you don't have to say anything. If you're embodying it in your presence, people will, will In the business world, we used to call it that you, you everyone gets clients that are just like them. Meaning, any business, as a rule of thumb, you should know that your clients are just like you. So if you hate them, you probably hate yourself. You're, they're arrogant because you're arrogant. They're cheap because you're cheap. You get, in essence, your customers are going to be a reflection of you. The people around you are usually reflect on you. That's why there's an old saying, you are where your friends are, that's where it comes from. But in essence, the same applies in the Torah world, same applies in your learning, same applies in your kids, same applies everywhere. The world is your mirror. The best mirror, by the way, the most clear mirror, is your wife, your spouse. But in essence, your surroundings are going to be similar to you. So if <coughs> you did tshuva because you heard a certain speaker, that's the speaker you got to bring to those people. Because if you are affected by it, most likely the people around you like the same type of stuff you've done. They're influenced by the same things you are. So you like, let's say, for example, Rav Mizrahi, you bring him Rav Mizrahi CDs. You like me, you bring my CDs. You like this one, you, whatever it is. Um, if it's a book, you buy him the book. If it's a uh, movie, it's, you buy him that, you know, whatever it is. Whatever worked for you, that's, the, that's rule of thumb, it's the first thing you try. Second thing is, 
which is even more important than the first, you have to look in the mirror yourself, like a real mirror yourself, and assess where you are. You can't tell people to be religious if you're a kufil. You can't tell people, oh, you know what, you really should keep Shabbat, and you're driving together, you're driving on Shabbat yourself. Or, you know, really, you shouldn't, you shouldn't marry this girl, she's not Jewish, but you're dating a new girl every week. Some are Jewish, some are not Jewish. You can't, you can't be a hypocrite. The Gemara says things that are very, very harsh about people that are hypocrites. To such an extent that it says someone that teaches something that he doesn't do himself, it was better that he died at birth. Better that he got choked during labor. The umbilical cord. It's very harsh words. Point being is that the Torah hates hypocrites. So first things first, work on ourselves. Second thing is, start looking at our surroundings. Now, again, it's important for us to influence the public, but how do we do it without speaking a word? Be happy. Be happy. Like, look happy when you're doing the mitzvah. Don't be one of those people who's like, ah, got to late to again. Oh, why? This holiday is four days? Four days, Rabbi? Can I keep three? No, can I keep? Come on. I really need to keep four? Come on, I was just in Israel. I really just let me keep three. Like, if you're one of those people, don't do Kiruv. Do me a favor. Don't do Kiruv. You're ruining it. You're ruining my job. You're ruining it. Why? Because you're making the you're making the Torah look so like unhealthy. You're looking at making the Torah look like so like not fun. Who wants to be there? This is actually part of the problem today, where a lot of so-called religious people look miserable. They look sad. They have no emunah whatsoever. They're always stressed out. They do things that they're not supposed to. And even if they're wearing a hat and they have a beard that's free and they have all these things, they don't look good. They don't make. Judaism look good, so it makes people say, why would I want to do that? How do I know this? I'm one of those examples. I saw it. That was one of the reasons I didn't want to be religious. I saw religious people doing things that I wouldn't do as a secular person. Who wants to be that? But again, what you have to understand is that Judaism does not depend on the Jews. Judaism depends on the Torah. If you follow the Torah, you're a Jew. You don't follow the Torah, your Judaism is on suspension. Even if your mom was Jewish and all that stuff. doesn't matter. In Michalai Shabbat, Judaism is on suspension. Go with Eshet Ish, Judaism is on suspension. Shave with a razor, Judaism is on suspension. Make sins on a regular basis knowing there are sins, Judaism is on suspension. Waste seed, Judaism is on suspension. You're putting yourself on suspension. You can do tshuva instantly. Point is, don't put yourself on suspension. So it's important for all of us to understand that if we're going to do Kiruv, we have to get to a point of enjoying it. How do we get to a point of enjoying it? Understand what you're doing. First, do it. Understand, okay, I'm doing it because I want to get punished. That's what Rabbi Salaam told us in the beginning of his book. Do it because, bottom line, if you don't do it, you get punished. Don't do it because I want, I want a reward, I want Ganeden, I want a million dollars. No, no, no. Do it because if you don't do it, you will be punished. It's very, very important for you to know this. If you don't do it, you'll be punished. There's no, there's no etel. Someone that says that Hashem is just going to let things go, they're going to cut them up into small little pieces to show them what they let go, like they do at the butcher. I'm very serious about Bottom line reason of why you do anything, if you don't do it, you get punished. That's the beginning. Eventually do it because you want to honor your king. What lover of a king doesn't want to honor him? 
So you do it because you love your king. My king wants me to jump up and down. I'll jump up and down. I'll just ask him how high. My king wants me to put this piece of leather on my head and piece of leather on my thing. It looks weird. I'll do it. My king wants me to not touch my phone for four days. I'll do it. My king wants me to marry a certain person. I'll do it. Why? Because I want to honor my king. Eventually, you start noticing that every time you do something little, Hashem gives you a lot. This king of kings, you do something small, you do this little tefillin, he gives you a zivug. You do this little mitzvah, you keep Shabbat, he gives you parnasah. You give stakah, he makes you rich. doesn't happen instantly. But over time you see how your world comes together and all of a sudden everyone around you that has the upside down smile, but you're the only one with the right, right side up smile. You're happy. Every time you do something little, Hashem gives you big. How can you not fall in love with that? But it has to start with fear. It has to start with fear. Anyone that tells you otherwise is a kufir batorah. It's a kufir batorah. To such an extent, the Gemara Masechet Rosh Hashanah, page 17, A, says those people will go to a Gehenom that never ends even after the Mashiach. So, and this is also in Rambam, Yechot Shuvah, also talks about those people. So, be very, very careful with who you listen to and what you listen to. You want to listen to a speaker? Speaker to whoever. You don't like me? Great. I don't know why you're here for three hours. You don't like a uh, different rabbi? Great. Bottom line is, whoever you are going to listen to, make sure they provide proof for what they're saying. I doesn't necessarily need to remember every single thing by heart. Not everybody is a, uh, a genius Talmud Chacham. But if he's going to tell you something that's different from everyone else, if he's telling you that you can be a care bear and you can do whatever you want, as long as you give tzedakah, okay, can you show me proof? Can you show me in this in the Gemara that I can violate Shabbat, I can go with whatever woman I want, I can do this, I can do that, can you show me a source? Oh, the Rebbe said it. Where? Which Rebbe? Where? Where did he say it? When did he say this? When? Where? Where did he write? Did he write? He signed his name on it? Where? Where did he say it? Oh, he didn't say it. No, no, we understood it. Show me proof. Show me proof of who can cancel out the entire Torah. Show me proof. And even if someone that calls themselves a rabbi wrote a book that says something that's contradicting everything that was written before him. Like, for example, this book that came out recently, The World of the Gare. This book is a problem. It's a serious, serious problem to Ami Slay. It's a bigger problem to the Noahites. Because they decide to be their own poskim. And it's actually making people that could potentially convert to Judaism and fulfill the prophecy that it says in the Gemara Masechet Abu Dazarah, page 3b, there's going to be a lot of converts. It's making them say, oh, listen, you can keep the mitzvot without converting. You keep Shabbat without converting. Learn Torah without converting. This is against the Torah. No, I do that. To such an extent, to give you guys an extent of how much of a problem this is, you guys heard of Elisha Elisha the prophet 
giant of giants. He couldn't figure it out. You two figured it out? Between the two of you, you have a, uh, a few years of Torah. You figured it out by yourself. No one else figured it out? They called, no, we have a chidush. We have a chidush to the Torah. Shtuyot. So here you have, an, you have to understand. There's no such thing as an innovation unless it agrees with the past. You will never be right and Rashi wrong. You will never be right and Rambam wrong. Never. Doesn't matter how smart you are. Doesn't matter anything. You can never be right and the previous generation wrong. Never. So this is something very important for you to learn when you're learning Torah. Because in order for you to learn Torah, the first and most important thing for you to do is to understand who you're learning from. If you think that the sages are like you, don't learn from them. Because you're clueless. Why would you learn from another clueless person? I'm serious. I wouldn't learn from me. I don't know anything. I'd learn from somebody bigger than me. You understand? So if you think that Rabban Yochanan is like you, don't learn from him. You think Rabbi Akiva is like you, don't learn from him. That's the point. Once you understand they're not like you, they're nothing like you. Then you start learning. Then you understand the significance of what you're dealing with. But as soon as you start saying, no, I think Rambam is wrong here, there's a something wrong with your something wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with Rambam, something's wrong with you. You're not understanding the point here. So it's very, very important to know who you're dealing with. So to go and say Rambam's wrong, uh, this one is wrong, that one's wrong, that's a problem. And that's the thing. So this also has to do with Yilat Shemaim. This also has to do with Yilat Shemaim. Once you have Yilat Shemaim, it's not just Yilat Shemaim of Hashem, it's also fearing of his students, his rabbis. That's who he put into this world to fulfill his will. A person needs to fear his rabbi like he fears God. To that extent. So that's important stuff for you guys to understand is that again, it's you're not dealing with you. And this is anytime you see it, at least from my perspective, anytime I see a certain rabbi, certain darshan, certain speaker, like start going in different directions, so far, 10 out of 10. Like 100% of the time, every single time, somebody went off the derech, somebody started like either becoming a kofel or just start like making their own stuff up. It's their opinion. Their rabbi never told them this. They don't have a rabbi. They either don't have a rabbi or they never had a rabbi. All problems started because somebody, there's a disconnect with their, there's no disconnect with the previous generation. You don't have a rabbi, it's better off you don't do tshuva. Stay whatever you are. If you don't have a rabbi, don't do anything. Serious. I'm, this is not my opinion. This is what the, the sages of this generation are saying. To such an extent, someone doesn't have a rabbi, but off he doesn't do tshuva. Why? Because once he does tshuva, he thinks he did tshuva, he's more dangerous. Now he's clueless. He's not dangerous. He's only dangerous to himself. Once he starts doing, you know, reading some things, he has no rabbi, no direction, he can become machtia rabbi. Cause other people to sin. It's very dangerous. This is why also in the beginning of the lecture we're talking about stay away from the mystical stuff. Go basics, basics, basics. Not the sham, we'll get bigger. Anything else? Bauch Adonai Lolam, Amen, Be Amen.
Oh, yeah, I forgot. See? What? Forget it, forget it. Well, the thing is still on. This is the, um... Huh? This is a double pack, double CDs. Yeah, so, Baruch Hashem, we got 50,000 CDs. Anyone wants, they're free. Uh, I didn't bring all 50,000 here. Uh, but it's a uh, CD number one and CD number two in uh, packaging. Oh, Hashem, anybody wants to sponsor them? It's not the same CD as I had already, just oh. in nice packaging. Oh, oh, uh, yeah, like 60 hours of Torah, right? Yeah, 60 hours of Torah. Wait, so there's all your lectures? This is not. Well, only well, 60 hours of the lectures. Oh, okay. So, uh, I don't know. Oh, Hashem, we have a lot more to go.